Hi friends and welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I'm Nicolette and we're glad to have you here. Today, Pastor John Huang takes us through John 12, 37 through 50 in his message titled, The Reason Christ, The Light Has Come Into the World. The book of John as a whole was written with a specific purpose in mind. He includes specific works and words of Jesus to show us the truth about who Jesus is and to invite us to believe in him. Jesus is both the gospel message and its messenger. His presence is the light shining in a dark world. His light reveals our need for him and he brings everyone who believes in him out of the darkness. Jesus' mission to the world was not to bring condemnation, it was to bring salvation. If you'd like to watch more messages from this series in John, visit the teaching page of cccm.com. Now as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we have been learning that the Gospel of John was written with a specific purpose in mind. In John chapter 20, verse 31, we've been hearing this week after week, the apostle John wrote, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what we see is that under the superintendence of God's spirit, the apostle John purposefully selected the words and the works of Jesus that are included in this gospel. And we see for two reasons. First, to tell us the truth about who Jesus is. And then secondly, to invite us to believe in Jesus so that we could have life in his name. Now the account that's provided here, the scripture that we just read in verses 37 through 50, this account is one of those intentionally chosen highlights of the life and the ministry of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And so here in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50, the apostle John brings us to a specific moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. We come now to the conclusion of the public ministry of Jesus the Messiah. We have been with Jesus for more than three years. For more than three years, Jesus has been traveling throughout Israel, proclaiming and explaining the good news of God's kingdom and demonstrating God's power through miracles. His public ministry began at his water baptism in the Jordan. Now it ends here during Passover season in Jerusalem. And here at the end of John chapter 12, the apostle informs us of two specific things relating to the public ministry of Jesus. The first, in verses 37 through 43, we see how the Jews responded to Jesus. And then in verses 44 through 50, we see what Jesus said in his final public address to the Jewish people. And as I read this section, for me, the key statement is verse 46. In verse 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Wow. Jesus is the light. 
Jesus is the light who brings the light of life to lifeless souls bound in spiritual darkness. This is a repeated theme in the Gospel of John. Remember back in John chapter 1, verse 9, the author says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world? And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, the apostle tells us when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here in John chapter 12, verse 46, Christ the light tells us that he came into the world to rescue people out of spiritual darkness. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So this morning, as we spend time here in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50, our objective is to understand the meaning and the application through the lens of that statement. We wanna keep Christ the light as the focal point of this sermon. So here we go. Here's the first thing that John wants us to understand that is related to the final public address of Jesus, the conclusion of Jesus' ministry. We see how the Jews responded to Christ the light. How the Jews responded to Christ the light in verses 37 through 43, and we see that there was a stubborn unbelief among the Jews a stubborn unbelief among the Jews. In verse 37 we read, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Guys, you remember from last week that the hour for Jesus the Messiah to be glorified by his death on the cross had arrived. And with this in mind, Jesus appealed to the crowd to believe in him while there's still time. Remember, he said in John 12, verses 35 and 36, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. This light that Jesus is referring to is his own presence. Jesus' presence is the light shining forth in a dark world. It's his light that reveals our need for him. It's his light that brings everyone who believes in him out of darkness. But here's what Jesus is stressing. Time is limited and time is ticking. Christ the light was about to depart from the world and return back to heaven. Hey, listen, please hear me on this. Believing in Jesus the Messiah is not a matter people should put off till later. Believing in Jesus is not a decision that is meant for procrastination. Listen to Isaiah 56, verses six and seven. The prophet Isaiah called Israel to seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. 
Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. That offer is there. But you have to receive it when you still have the opportunity to. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. No wonder the Puritan Richard Baxter said that preaching is like a dying man preaching to dying men. Jesus said, come to the light. Believe in me while there's still time. But in verse 37, we read these words, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Instead of heeding Jesus' appeal, these Jews responded with stubborn unbelief. They kept on suppressing the truth about Jesus. They kept on refusing to believe in Jesus. As John said, they still would not believe in him. Now, this was not due to a lack of miraculous signs that point to him as the Messiah and the Son of God, right? In fact, we've been seeing in our studies through the Gospel of John, listen, Jesus turned water into wine. He healed an official son. He healed a disabled man at the pool of Bethesda. He fed a crowd of more than 5,000 people with just a few fish and loaves of bread. He walked on water. He healed a blind man. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is just the short list. John tells us in John 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. The purpose of all these miraculous signs was to bear witness that Jesus was sent by God the Father and that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And even with all this, John tells us even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. In John 5, when Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, the Jews persecuted him. In John 9, when Jesus healed the blind man, the Jews called him a sinner. In John 11, when Jesus raised a dead man back to life, the Jews plotted his death. Hey, listen, this stubborn unbelief was not evidence problem. This was a heart problem. Earlier, John tells us in John 3, verses 19 and 20, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. These people hated the light. They were offended by the light. They rejected the light. 
and they chose darkness over the light. And then John goes on and he adds this in verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To explain the unbelief of the Jews, John takes us to scripture. He takes us to the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now, the apostle here, he sees a correlation between those Old Testament scriptures of Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6. Those are the passages that John will quote. He sees a correlation between those scriptures and the events of John 12. For example, back in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, the prophet declared this about the Messiah, that he would be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And how would Israel respond to the lifting of the Messiah? With unbelief. He tells us that in Isaiah 53, verse 1, the same verse that John is about to quote. Remember in John chapter 12, verse 32, what does Jesus declare? He said, and I, when I am what? Lifted up. Just like Isaiah 52, 13. When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And how did the Jews respond to that statement? With unbelief. And there was such a clear correlation that John quotes Isaiah 53.1. Next in Isaiah chapter 6, that's the other passage John quotes. We see God's seraphim declare the whole earth is full of his glory. Whose glory? Well, John 12.41, John tells us that Isaiah saw and spoke about Jesus' glory. In fact, in John 12.23, Jesus said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So this tells us that both Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6 are about Jesus, the Messiah. And these Jews they did not believe in Jesus the Messiah. And this fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet spoke about them 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53.1. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The Jews heard the message of Jesus the Messiah. That's our message. And they stubbornly determined not to believe in him. The Jews witnessed God's power demonstrated by Jesus the Messiah. That's the meaning of the arm or the strength of the Lord. And they stubbornly decided to reject him. These are those John wrote about earlier in the prologue. In John 1, verses 10 and 11, John tells us he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. This fulfillment of the Jews' unbelief, however, it demonstrates two important things. First, it demonstrates that God's word is reliable. Everything is happening just as God said would happen. But secondly, it demonstrates that God's plans cannot, cannot, cannot be thwarted by Israel's unbelief and disobedience. 
these unbelieving Jews were how God delivered Jesus up to the Romans to be crucified and slain as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. In fact, later the apostle Peter testified in Acts 2.23, speaking to these very Jews, he said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you these unbelieving Jews, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Please do not miss this. The Jews were responsible for their own unbelief. The Jews were responsible for their own unbelief, but God but God used their unbelief to accomplish his good purpose and plan of bringing salvation to the world through Jesus the Messiah. Wow. But it doesn't stop there because the Jews' stubborn unbelief resulted in a terrifying consequence. In verses 39 through 41, John writes, for this reason they could not believe because as Jesus says elsewhere, he has blinded, or as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Note this. In verse 37, the Jews still would not believe. Now here in verse 39, they could not believe. From would not believe to could not believe. The Jews' persistent unbelief resulted in a divine judicial blinding and hardening of their hearts. This is such a radical and smack in the face statement. God's hand is in the consequence of their blinding and hardening. That is a hard truth to have to be confronted with, but it's here in the Bible. God's hand is in the consequence of their blinding and hardening. These Jews were experiencing the same spiritual blindness and hardening of heart that those in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 were consigned to. This was God's immediate judgment of the Jews who willfully, stubbornly rejected Jesus as their Messiah. The Jews kept on rejecting Jesus. So God eventually firmed up their stubborn unbelief by hardening their hearts. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them because they would not believe they eventually could not believe. The same divine judicial hardening happened to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, right? In Exodus chapters eight and nine, while God was striking Egypt with plagues, 
Pharaoh responded by defiantly, repeatedly hardening his heart against God. So then there's a turn. In Exodus 10 through 14, then we see God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Paul said this in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. He said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people, listen, who suppress, or they are consistently, continually, stubbornly holding down the truth by their wickedness. Therefore, in response to that, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. God gave them over to shameful lust. God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Because they would not believe, they could not believe. Listen, if God is speaking to your heart, if you are listening to what I'm saying and you're feeling really uncomfortable with what I'm saying, man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're feeling, you're sensing that, you're experiencing that. But remember, God said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. And when you're constantly saying, God, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. Listen, if and when God eventually leaves you alone, and consigns you to your willful, ongoing rejection of Jesus, that is not freedom, that is judgment. J. Vernon McGee, he said this, quote, my friend, the most dangerous thing in the world is to hear the gospel and then turn your back on it if you just go on listening and listening and do not accept it and act upon it, there comes the time when you cannot hear and you cannot see God is God and it is he who has the final word. Listen, this is a sobering warning to stop refusing and persistently rejecting Jesus as your savior. And I've got this in my notes, and it is intentionally written this way. Please, please, please believe in Jesus the Messiah today and receive life in his name. Even when I was preparing my notes, as I had your faces in mind, I was pleading while I was typing, please, please, please believe in Jesus the Messiah today and receive life in his name. In John 16, verses eight and nine, Jesus spoke of unbelief as the crowning sin. In Hebrews 3, 12, it warns us against an evil heart of unbelief. And Hebrews 4, 7 calls out today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There was the stubborn unbelief of the Jews. But there was also secret belief among the Jewish leaders. We read in verse 42, yet at the same time, even among the leaders, or at the same time, many, even among the leaders believed in him. Now this verse starts with the conjunction yet. This means at the same time, nevertheless. You see, the Jews rejected Jesus, yet, at the same time, many, or as the New Living Translation says it, many people did believe in him. This takes us back again to John's prologue, right? In John chapter one, verses 11 through 13, we read, he came to that which was his own, but his own people did not receive him, there's that, Conjunction, yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, this group of believers included, John tells us, some of the Jewish religious leaders. We read, even among the leaders, as we have it here in the New International Version, the Christian Standard Bible says the rulers, the English Standard Version says the authorities. And so even among that group of men, there were people that believed in Jesus. But concerning them, John tells us that even though they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, it was not to the point that they would openly acknowledge it. So we read, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. These were secret believers, and they were believing in fear. They were afraid, John tells us, of being put out or excommunicated from the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was that place of Jewish faith and worship. And so being excommunicated from the synagogue would mean a loss of religious acceptance, religious community, and religious privileges, it would also mean a loss in social position and relationships. And we see that their fear overruled their un, or their fear overruled their belief because John tells us they cared more about how people thought about them than what God thought about them. They cared more. They preferred. They desired the recognition and approval of people more than God's. The words for they loved human praise more than the praise from God, that was not a compliment. That was a strong criticism of this group of secret believers. These people needed to be reminded of Jesus' words. 
In John 5, Jesus asked, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What he's, imp- he's implying here is that there are some people that will not come to faith in Jesus because they're concerned about what the people around them are gonna think about them. In John 12, 25, again, Jesus said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Is losing forever life with God really worth you having just the temporary fleeting applause of people around you now? Now, like Jesus, we should always seek God's recognition and approval over and above human praise. Remember, Jesus said this. In John 5, 41 and John 8, 29, he said, I do not accept glory from human beings. I always do what pleases the Father. Now, eventually, there will be those among these leaders that will come out into the open. In John 19, two Pharisees named Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they show themselves as believers in Jesus the Messiah at his burial. And then later in Acts chapter six and Acts 15, we see that priests and Pharisees are members of the church in Jerusalem. We need to remember that in John 12, 36, Jesus called those who believe in him children of light. And we're all familiar with light. Light does not hide in darkness. Instead, light overcomes darkness. Light dispels darkness. It is seen and felt by all who are where it shines. And this is a description of us. Listen, King Jesus wants us to be his ambassadors out in the open, representing him and representing his kingdom in this lost and broken world. God's spirit empowers us to be Christ's bold witnesses in this world. So let's receive God's power and live out in the open as the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Let's not be secret believers, but let's be the believers that testify of Christ in the light openly. But not only do we see the response of the Jews, but now we end with the final public address of Christ the light. In verse 44, we read, then Jesus cried out, The New English translation says he shouted out. Kenneth Weiss' translation of the New Testament says he called out aloud. Listen, Jesus wanted the attention of Israel. And Jesus wants our attention today. So let's listen to him now. In this final public address, Jesus sums up all he has said the past three plus years and he calls people to believe in him. 
Remember back in Matthew 17, verse 5. There on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father said this about Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So let's listen to him now. In verse 44, Jesus says, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The first thing we see in this last public address is Jesus tells us again that he was sent by God the Father to bring God's salvation to the world. If you've ever wondered what the story of Christmas and Easter is all about, John 3, 16 and 17 puts it this way, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And then the second thing that Jesus tells us in this final public address is he reaffirms that he is the God-man who is uniquely one with the Father. So when people believe in the Son, they believe in the Father too. Now, other religions accept the Father, but they generally reject Jesus as God. They deny God's triune nature, and they demote Jesus to merely an angel or a great prophet or an enlightened teacher, but not God, not Savior. The gospel, however, teaches us that we cannot receive the Father without believing in the Son, and we cannot receive the Son without believing in the Father. Listen, we have eternal life in both the Father and the Son. That's what 1 John 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us. And this is a repeated theme in the gospel. So the appeal of the gospel is believe in the Son and believe in the Father. Believe in the Father and believe in the Son and have life in his name. And then in verse 45, Jesus says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Jesus is the incarnate God who reveals the truth about God to us. Incarnate means that God took on human flesh. He became fully human. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus shows us that God is full of grace and full of truth. And Jesus shows us that God wants us to know his abundant, abounding grace today. And so he says in verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. This is the reason Christ the light came into the world. 
He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. That is, from the present control of Satan and sin, Acts 26, 18 tells us, and from the future eternal punishment in what Jesus referred to as outer darkness. Do you hear the appeal of Christ? I don't know how you're hearing this sermon today, but there is a a powerful statement in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says that we are ambassadors of Christ and God, as if he is imploring through us his messengers. God, imploring through me. God, imploring through us. Be reconciled to God. Follow Christ the light and leave the darkness behind. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. In verse 47, Jesus again tells us why he came into the world. He says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Listen, Jesus' mission in this world was not to bring condemnation. It was to bring salvation. For those, however, who who continually condemn themselves by rejecting Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, there is a future judgment where they will be judged by Christ's words for their decisions. Frederick Dale Bruner, in his landmark commentary on the Gospel of John, he wrote, quote, at the judgment, people will be reminded of the opportunities they had to hear Jesus' words and to be changed by them. Then Jesus' words will be words of judgment. But now, they are words of loving warning. Please don't have to hear me only on the last day. Hear me today, Jesus is crying. Your life depends on what you choose to hear. This day or that day, you will have to come to terms with my word. This word is the key reality in life. Today, it is a gracious word of warning. That day, it can be a condemning word of judgment. Choose you this day which word you will serve. And then verses 47 and 48, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. These words come to us from God the Father and the Son, and this concludes the final public address of Jesus the Messiah. Now we must respond to it. So what's the best application for this? 
I think the best is believe in Christ the light. What, what will you do with this sermon? How will you respond to Christ the light this morning? You know, someone once observed that the same sun that softened wax also hardens clay. Both are exposed to the same light, same heat from the sun, but react two different ways determined by the kind of material that is exposed to the sun. Now, in the same way, people's hearts will either soften and yield to Christ the light, or it will harden and continue to resist him, depending on how we see, how we listen, and how we respond to him. So listen to the words of Jesus again. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light. While there is still time, then you will become children of the light. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah again. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Listen to the purpose statement of John's gospel again. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe in Jesus today and receive life in his name. So we echo the prayer of this Puritan, blessed Lord Jesus. No human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message, lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, death, that I might be redeemed, ransomed, freed. Blessed be you, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to you, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to you, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit heart and life to its command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross to seek glory from its infamy, strip me of every pleasing pretense of righteousness by my own doings. Oh, gracious Redeemer, I have neglected you too long, often crucified you, crucified you afresh by my impenitence, put you to open shame. I thank you for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be yours, oh, unite me to yourself with inseparable bonds that nothing may ever draw me back from you, my Lord, my Savior, amen. As we move into our response time here at the table, as the choir comes up to sing and lead us in song, 
as you come to hold the elements that represent the broken body, the great sacrifice of our Lord, our King Jesus, for you and me on the cross. As we drink together of this juice that is symbolic and yet meaningful in the deepest way of the blood of Jesus that was poured out from the veins of the true incarnate God-man. I pray that for us that are believers in Christ that we would receive it in a fresh, renewed, and powerful way that we just learn how to say thank you. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you, God, for making me whole. Thank you, God, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich, so free. And for others of you that are hearing this and you're feeling really uncomfortable, I get it. This is one of those smack-on-your-forehead sermons. There is no way that we can tone this down unless I compromise the gospel, and I refuse to do that. But the fact that it's in the Bible... It tells us that's how much God loves us. That God would use a feeble vessel like this and call us ambassadors so that he could implore through us to you to be right with God. So will you come and receive communion and as you do say, Jesus, I own up to my sin. I own up to my disobedience. I own up to the countless numbers of times that I did not believe in you and I rejected you. And today, Lord, I want that to stop. Please forgive me for my sins. Please give me a new heart. Please give me a new direction. And the Lord Jesus promised, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. Come to the light and leave the darkness behind. Amen. Father, may your will be done. Now as your people worship and respond to your word.